with prayer. Hi. And we say that to you, God our Father, hi Daddy. Knowing that you love us. That you care for us enough to send your own son so that you could have more children. Lord, today as we look at your word and consider the celebration that we have today, that we will see you for who you are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So I know last week we just started Philippians, but we're going to take a break from Philippians for a two-part series for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And this series is called Sons and Daughters. Now, I realize that not everyone is a biological mother or father, but we are all sons and daughters. And what we're going to be seeing is that values are given and received. And that's something I need to both, I need to give and receive godly values. Even if I'm not a parent. I happen to be a parent, but even if you're not a parent, you know, is there someone else that I could invest in? Or is there some area in my life that I need someone to invest in me? But most importantly, what can I learn about Jesus Christ? See, I didn't get called to the ministry or called to this church to preach about moms. Moms are great. Jesus is better. So I'm here to preach Christ. So there's something for everybody to learn here. I'm going to try not to fiddle with this new mic too much. Now, I've got this particular picture. This this picture kind of struck me because it has the, the sun in the foreground acting stereotypically like a sun and the daughter in the background acting stereotypically like a daughter. And what we need to do is, one, that's not everybody, and we need to release our stereotypes today. Our stereotypes of boys and girls and particularly of Jacob, who we're going to be looking at today. See, Jacob sometimes gets called a mama's boy. But mama's boy, we'll see, can be a very positive thing, just like daddy's girl can be a positive thing. So we're going to look at Jacob and take a moment to release your previous understanding of Jacob, because I think you're going to hear something new. So Genesis Chapter 25, verses 27 and 28, starts our story. It says, When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So what we're going to see about Jacob here first is Jacob the complete Man. Jacob the complete man. Now, first thing that we just need to notice here is favoritism. If you're a parent or a grandparent, we've got to watch out for this. This is not what this passage is about, but it's certainly something we can learn. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau. Isaac liked wild game and Esau liked to hunt. They did that together, apparently, you know, until probably Isaac got too old. So they had this thing in common. And Rebecca loved Jacob. 
We'll see later, they both like to cook. So, and you know, that's natural for parents. Because you might have more alike in personality with one child or another. Elizabeth is a lot of fun. But I'm more like Sophia. So, you know, we, we, but that doesn't mean I love more one than the other, but I have to watch that favoritism. And favoritism is bad and can feel natural. But one of the things we're going to presume from this as we look at this passage is it seems that Esau learned from his dad, Jacob learned from his mom. That's who they spent the most time with. So that's, that's how we're kind of dovetailing this into Mother's Day. Jacob is the mama's boy. He learned from Rebekah, his mom. And we're going to see, well, what did he learn? Esau is described as a man's man. We didn't read the verse, but uh, when he's born, it says his description is he's hairy. He's hairy from the time he's born. So Esau is a hairy man. Our translation that we're using says he's an expert hunter. What that literally means is he is a knowledgeable man. The word doesn't actually mean hunt. It just means he's a knowledgeable man. And what he is knowledgeable about is the next word, an outdoorsman. He's knowledgeable about outside. It says he's a man of the field. And that could be a cultivated field or a wild field. Esau knows how to do things outside. Whether that's farming or hunting, Esau is an outdoor kind of guy, and he's an expert in that. He's smart about things outside. But Jacob, it says, is a complete man. I was surprised when I looked up a few different translations. Some translations say that he's a peaceful man, and so I assumed the word was going to be shalom, that he's a shalom man. And that's not the word at all. The word is tam. It means he's perfect. He's complete. Jacob is one who lacks nothing in physical strength or beauty or intellect, however you want to put it. Jacob is the whole package. This is the same word used of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. That's how Jacob is described. You ever thought of Jacob like that? The trickster? That he is upright like Job? That's how he is described. He's a complete man. And he stays at home. It literally means he's a man who dwells in a tent. Esau is a man who likes to hang out outside. Jacob is a man who likes to live in a tent. While Esau is an expert on things outside the fields, Jacob is an expert on things inside. He's a, he knows how to manage a household, manage a family. Jacob also knows morality and the importance of living right before God. He's complete. That surprised me about Jacob. That's not how I ever pictured Jacob. We've got two statues up there on our PowerPoint. One of, is a Nike of Samoathrace, and the other is a Venus de Milo. Those, if you look up, if you just type up on Google and said, great sculptures of the world, those are two that would come up. They're considered great. 
but they're not complete. At one time they were complete, but over time now they are incomplete. Yet we still say, oh, those are great, even though the Venus de Milo is missing her arms and Nike is missing her head. Esau was great at some things, but he wasn't complete. Jacob was a complete man. Job was complete. And Jesus is complete. Jesus and his sacrifice are complete in order to make us complete, in order to make me complete. See, Jesus... Because Jesus was a whole and perfect human being, then he could be the whole and perfect sacrifice for me. Hebrews uh, 10, uh, 12 and 14 says it this way. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. For For by one offering, he has perfected, that is, he's made complete, for all time, those who are sanctified. He says, Jesus is the complete sacrifice so that we could be complete people. Furthermore, God gives us the scriptures, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And one more verse, James 1.4. As he's talking about how we go through different difficulties in life, he ends with this. Let endurance have its complete result so that you may be complete and perfect and not lacking in anything. Jesus, the complete person, is here to make us complete. And so while values are given and received first from our parents, But most importantly, from Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes us whole people. So the story goes on, verses 29 and 30. Once Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted, and he said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. And that's why he was also named Edom. Let me show you a quick video, Gordon Ramsay. The cook. Grilled print on there, was that me? Grilled Caesar salad? No. Really? The lettuce is grilled. Huh? Top grilled it on the grill. Caesar salad. You never heard of that? No. Yeah. I haven't hit London yet. <laughs> okay, I'll start with that. The grilled Caesar. No chicken, just... Do you know what? Throw the chicken in there, why not? So they're coming in, chef. I'm ringing in his orders, okay? Okay. So be prepared. To me, it's Chef Francis, just another customer. I mean, as long as he likes my food, we're going to get along just fine. Good to go. Walking out. I think he's going to love this salad. It's a grilled lettuce. I mean, can't go wrong. Grilled salad. Come on. It is grilled. Are you still amazed? I'm shocked. I've never thought about it, but it's true. Like, wait, why are we grilling lettuce? Sorry for interrupting. Just two seconds. But this is the first for me. A grilled Caesar salad. So no, but they actually grilled the lettuce. Um, can you just 
show of hand if anyone else has ever had a grilled Caesar salad before. Anybody here? Ladies? No? Sorry for interrupting. Oh, jeez. I always get nervous when a chef serves me the butt of the lettuce. When you've got the butt of the lettuce on, you can never clean the lettuce properly. And unfortunately, it's not very nice inside. Dry chicken. The salad looks hideous. Why oh, is it so spicy? Everything is spicy, everything. Jesus. Thanks, darling. Grilled Caesar salad. Grilled Caesar salad. What got me about that was how confident the chef in the back was about it. He's just another customer. How can you go wrong with grilled lettuce? He thought that was great. He thought he could cook. And there was dirt on the inside of his lettuce. Yeah, but Jacob is a cook. You know, when we get into the story, Jacob is cooking stew. Which means he hasn't just like made one thing. He has put together ingredients and made something red. Don't know what it is, but it probably smells pretty good and looks good. Because Esau comes back from the field, whether he's been working crops or hunting. He's faint. He's thirsty. He's been hunting or farming, but he has no food to show for his work. And there is Jacob the cook with food to show for his work. So Esau says, let me have some of that red stuff. He doesn't even know what it is, but it's red. Whatever it is, I'll eat it. And we see Jacob, the complete man, has practical skills. He can cook. You know, practical skills are important to teach. There is a... Great book. It's out of print now. If you ever want to borrow it, I've got it in my library. It's called Promises to Peter by Par- Charlie Shedd. And when he became a parent, uh, it, they named his son Peter. And he knew there was milestones that he wanted his son to be able to complete. You know, For example, when he turned 16, he wanted his son to be able to drive a car responsibly. And other things with money and, and different kinds of responsibilities. And he realized that what he couldn't do as a parent is just when he decide when he turns 16, okay, here's some keys, be responsible. He says, my promise to my son is that if by age 16 I want him to be a certain way, I need to start way before that and give him the skills so that he's ready by the time he's 16 or 18 or 12 or whatever the milestone is. So he made these promises to his son to get him ready. Yeah, with cooking in particular, my mom made sure we all knew how to cook. I can't cook like my mom, but I can cook. My mom can use a recipe, but she doesn't need a recipe. I like to have a recipe. I just know when I can vary from the recipe. A little different. But she wanted to make sure... We knew how to cook. He said, you've got to know how to cook. You know, godliness should also be practical. There are physical things that we need to take care of in life. Cooking, cleaning, our finances. That's part of being a whole person. 
relational things like listening to each other. Intellectual things. Being able to read. Being able to do problem solving. And spiritual things. Like prayer. Like being part of community worship. Like service. Jacob could cook. He could do something practical with the values he was taught. And you think about Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. They asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray like John did his disciples. And so Jesus taught them to pray. And we're going to go through that this fall for our all-church formation. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be teach us to pray. Jesus also taught them how to teach. Jesus taught them how to live in faith. Jesus taught them how to stand firm in their convictions when they're opposed by somebody who's got more authority. Very practical stuff. Paul put it to Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. He says, Timothy, I want you to have both. I want you to be a complete person. Do your physical side and do your spiritual side. Godliness has value for all things. So I remind you of what I said at the beginning. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or neither, is there someone else I can teach my skills? And is there some area that I'd like somebody to teach me? Because values are given and received. And those values should be of practical use for the physical and the spiritual. See, I don't cook just for me. I cook for my family. I cook for people that I invite over to my house. So how's the story in? Starting in verse 31. Esau wants some food. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave him bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Jacob's a complete man, Jacob is a cook, and Jacob is a covenant keeper. Jacob is a covenant keeper. Now here is where Jacob slips away a bit from his blamelessness, for sure. He should have just given his brother something to eat. But he offers this trade, give me your birthright and I'll give you some food. And he makes Esau swear to it. This giving of food, they have just made a covenant. You give me your birthright, I give you food. Gifts have been exchanged. They have made a covenant promise here. And the value of a birthright is not equal to a meal. The birthright is not just a property claim. It's not just that I get dad's stuff when he dies. This is the family covenant with God that he's talking about here. He says, I want to have the covenant with God that dad has and that Abraham had before him. And so we see these two sons 
What are their views on this birthright? Esau's view is, what good is the birthright if I can't live? What good is the birthright if I can't live? Jacob's view is, what good is living without the birthright? What good is living without a relationship with God? See why it says Esau despised his birthright? Why later God would say, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated? Because Esau hated God. Jacob makes his brother hold to the covenant agreement so that he could have a covenant relationship with God. Esau will sell his covenant relationship with God for a bowl of red bean soup. If he's hungry enough. But Jacob is a man that values the covenant. Now, a few about a month ago, uh, had a conversation with Motorcycle Paul, and I might not get his words exactly right. I will tell you how I heard them. My mom had been here and she would just gone home and then we were here in the church and he said something along the lines of, I see where you got your understanding of the scriptures from because your mom really knows the scriptures and I saw that in Sunday school. Something along those lines, close, close enough. Now, how I took that was he was saying, oh, I really see that your mom taught you the scriptures. And I thought about it for a bit. And and we followed up on this conversation. I said, you know, it wasn't really my mom who taught me the scriptures. She never taught my own Sunday school class. Uh, to be honest, we were pretty inconsistent about even reading the Bible together as a family at home. We always went to church, though. Um, and uh, I said, my mom, and I had a lot of different Bible teachers, and my, I wouldn't put my mom in my top five, maybe even my top ten of my Bible teachers. But I said, Paul, what I did get from my mom is her love of scriptures. I always saw my mom reading the scriptures and loving the scriptures and using the scriptures. And so I copied that. And Paul said, oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> See, she valued her covenant relationship with God, and that's what was passed on to me. And so, as I look at Jacob and Esau, I ask myself again, do I value or despise God's covenant? Because here's something that's different between Jacob and Esau and me today. I don't have to compete for it against anybody else. It's not I get it or my brother gets it. We can both have it. It's not I get it or you get it. We can both have it. God offers it to me. God offers it to you. God offers it to your next door neighbor. God offers it to the person across the street. God offers it to the person you work with, that you run with, that you do whatever, that you play baseball with. All people we know equally. Acts 2.21 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 2 Peter 
3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone to come to repentance. So if I can have it, and you can have it, when I have it, do I let it go for temporary things? Temporary pleasures, fulfilling temporary desires. Paul again writes in Titus 2, 11 and 12, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. Do I value the covenant? God places value on the covenant. He gave his perfect and complete son to make it. Verse that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, values are given and received. And the most useful value I can obtain and pass on is a covenant relationship with Jesus. This last bit's not original for me, but I thought it was interesting and appropriate for today. For some, motherhood is an accident, not always a welcome one. For some, biological motherhood isn't even possible. For some, mothers weren't all that nice. And for some, Motherhood, even under the very best of circumstances, is not easy. But motherhood is also like the calling to make disciples. It's one of the most important jobs in the world. Even though the pay in terms of money is not necessarily very much. But mother or not, I am called to not just give and receive godly values, but to give and receive God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. David prayed in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I am complete. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I do not fear evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. <coughs> my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Lord, what David prays there is that in covenant relationship with you, he is whole. And he is with you forever. Lord, today we repent for times that we have despised the covenant. That we have set it aside, that I have set it aside for temporary things. Things that please my eyes, things that please my stomach. Instead of the things that please you. I repent of the times that I have kept this gift that is for everyone to myself. But we also know that part of the wonderful gift of the covenant is not just forgiveness of sins, but empowerment through the Holy Spirit. So we ask for that power today to give and receive your life, your covenant. So that you may have many children, whole and complete whole and complete individually and a whole and complete church. And we ask this in your name. Amen.